I went home last week and talked to two police officers who talked about their work as really making them ungodly, depressed, stressed men because they deal with evil in a way that uh, they can't get out of its influence. I said, I go into prisons to help guys come out of the darkness, but we also want to go into the darkness, help guys prevent them from going into that darkness. And there was a 26-year-old man who killed a 23-year-old man in my city last week. He gets 75 years in prison. Next week you'll hear the song again, except you'll have a video with it. <laughs> because I want you to hear that it's not just the local, it's about the nations. And so today I want to talk a little bit about moving into Acts 10, but the idea that God is at work in ways, and you may or may not see them, but I want you to open your eyes and see God at work. This morning and Sunday in your Bible, we did a little study, and uh, I asked how many pages are in your Bible, and one, uh, one person had 2,000 pages in the Bible, and others 1,000 to 1,600, whatever. And you know, the whole Bible can be summarized by two sentences. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This idea that the whole Bible is wrapped up in the fact that we are a redeemed people, a people set free to love, and yet we're scared to death and we don't know how to do that very well when it comes to sinners, evil, people not like us. And therefore, we struggle. If you're here at Chesterland Baptist, I want to welcome you to struggle with me because none of us have got it together. Do you remember in school when you would uh, take a test and you got your grade back and if you got a 80% on your math exam, you would pass or whatever, but there's a 20% that you didn't get and you never went back to figure out what was wrong. So you, kept, you go through with 80% understanding or 70% understanding or however, whatever grade you got if you flunked it, but you never go back. It's kind of like that in the Christian life, the huge gaps in their understanding about how God works in the darkness and how God works in in the heart of a, a fool, a heart of a stubborn person, the heart of an atheist, the heart of a prisoner, any of us. So I wanted to use this morning to go back and fill in some of that Swiss cheese gap of theology as we go into a very, very uh, powerful passage in Acts 10. And so I want to open up with a couple of things I said last week that when we talk about the church, a lot of our a lot of our understanding of what takes place in a, a church, an institution, misses the themes of, of the New Testament because church is only mentioned three times in the Gospels, only three times. But the kingdom of God is mentioned uh, 126 times. And so I want to keep before you this idea that there is a kingdom that's coming. And God's Spirit, this is from last week, God's Spirit builds the kingdom of God by building Spirit-filled relationships. Imbricated, remember that overlapping, life by life with hearts set free, unbounded, who live and move in the fallen world telling their stories with love, truth, and grace. 
And so, as we got into that last week, uh, you understand that took place among the disciples at Pentecost, but this week we come to a whole different series of thinking for uh, the New Testament shifting from their understanding of what God's doing to understand that there is a Gentile Pentecost. And to get into that, to understand what was going on, I want to go back a little bit because uh, before we jump into the story of Cornelius, you understand that what Peter, what Peter needed, and you'll see, I want you to read this story, hear the story next week as Peter himself going through a transformation of how Peter had to learn how to love people who are not like Peter. How does a Jewish person learn to love a Gentile person? Paul, we saw, God was at work in Paul, and Paul was the primary instrument to open up our understanding of how God is at work among the nations, among the Gentiles. But we're going to go back and look, we're going to go back in the Old Testament to get the idea, well, when did this Pentecost idea have to go way back? When did, when did God uh, begin the work? And so you have to go way back and I'll lay some foundational work through understanding the covenant and the testaments. We'll look at that a little bit. Then look at Abraham as the father of faith. Uh, famous, but we know so little about Abraham, really. But then we're going to talk about the grafting in of the Gentiles. And this is going to come into play for us as we think about the kingdom among the nations. So as we go into this, I want you to understand that this Gentile Pentecost is this new work, this new spiritual unfolding of the kingdom that's going to open up the tent to lengthen the cords to bring in people that weren't formally brought in. And so as you think back to, you understand how in Acts 2, the disciples were prepared. Jesus prepared them before he went to the cross. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. They understood to a certain degree that Jesus was going to send a helper, one like him, but he would guide them into all the truth. The, the disciples understood that, but a lot of people outside of the group didn't understand that. And therefore, as you get into this idea that God made a promise, a covenant, as it were, to send the Spirit. But when you get into the idea of covenant, here's the word that you want to look at. And so I did some research among several Christians, and I asked several of you and others, if you understand what this, these words mean, and so I want to, there's where the Swiss cheese theology comes in. Some people don't never heard of covenant. Some people say, I've heard of it, I don't know what it means. So covenant, what is a covenant? Well, if you go to the Latin, co means with, venere, to come, to come with, to come together. A covenant is a promise and agreement. It's a noun, but the verb is, I'm going to uh, do something act in a relationship in such a way to set up an expectation like a lease or a deed or a stipulation, a contract, an oath. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say you're not supposed to make an oath? Didn't he say that? He says, again, you've heard the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vow to the Lord 
But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great city, the city of the great king. And there he's talking about, don't, don't make God your partner. Don't, don't make an oath that's going to include God when God didn't say he would do that. Don't bring in the divine when there's no promise that God ever would do what you think he's going to do. He went on to say, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, and, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. So Jesus was teaching be careful with your words. Be careful when you make a promise. Because if you make a promise and you don't intend to keep it, don't include God. But even so, be a man of integrity. Be a woman of her word. That what you say, you give the expectation that you will do. Well, we understand that you can't live that way. So life, in one sense, there's lots of promises, lots of comp- uh, covenants that we make if you paid your visa bill this week this month we make a uh, a rental agreements mortgage payments we're working on a mortgage to get that down if you take out a loan uh, you you have these non-disclosure agreements we we live on the promise of your word our society is built on that our marriages are built on that And therefore, it's not that Jesus was against us making these promises. It was like, don't make false, deceptive promises that you're not going to keep. And therefore, a lot of people go through and say, well, I'm going to, but they never do. As kids, you practice that, acting like it. So that's a covenant. Pull this into the word testament. You know, this word by when somebody passes the Family gathers together and you read the last will and testament, the desires of uh, someone who's passed on. And therefore, when there's a passing on, there's a, a release of the inheritance. So the word testament, covenant, word, promise, uh, the testament means a person's will, the part relating to property. It could be a land. It could be something that serves as a sign or a significance of a fact. This is what I want, and therefore you honor the testament. Well, we have an Old Testament, and we have a New Testament. And in the Old Testament, the 39 books of a promise-keeping, promises that are uh, God's going to do, and we, wa- we walk into the New Testament with a new set of promises, There you are. But the Old Testament is filled with promises for the nation of Israel. And then the New Testament is breaking that open. You see this testament or covenant. So we're back to the word covenant. And if you go into the Bible, you'll hear lots of different people talking about different kinds of covenants. But I want to show you one thing that's important. Because some people say they're up to 12 covenants. There was an Adamic covenant, a covenant with Noah. But what I want to focus on are the four <clears throat> main covenants where God comes together in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So here are the big ones. The first one is called the Abrahamic covenant. Made the father Abraham have many sons. 
back to Sunday, vacation Bible school. Now think about this. 4,000 years ago. Wow. Hard to imagine. In a, in a faraway place, God spoke to a man and gave him a promise. Made a covenant. And it was an unconditional agape covenant. We'll look at that in a minute. But this covenant that starts in Genesis 12 goes through all the history of the Old Testament and all the history of the New Testament into the book of Revelation, you'll see that this is the overarching covenant of salvation given to Abraham. And it was unconditional. But then there are other covenants that are conditional. And therefore, you have the Mosaic covenant to keep the law and you'll be blessed, which is true. But that was 15, 1446 years ago, depending on which reference you use. Then there's the Davidic covenant, that, that the line of David, through the line of David, the seed of the Messiah would come forth and he would rule the nations. <clears throat> but when you come to the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, you hear this, this rumbling of a new covenant. A new covenant is going to come that's going to open the doors and it's going to be more than just the Jewish nation of Israel. It's going to include the whole world. But a covenant, again, is a promise made by two or more people vowing to do something or vowing not to do something. And this is what God is vowing to do. God is going to make a covenant. And God's promise what he's going to do is different than what we understand in terms of how this fits into our understanding of salvation. A contract is a legal thing. A covenant is a spiritual thing. A contract, you sign. A covenant, you seal. And the contract, again, exchanges some good for another a covenant is giving oneself to another. Not a service, but the self. A contract is for partnerships, but a covenant is for companionship. Big difference. The difference between a contract and covenant is evident when somebody breaks either one of them. When a contract is invalid, when one of the parties violates it, but a covenant remains intact, even if one of the parties break it. It's a difference. And so, therefore, you have a divine covenant, a divine promise. And this promise gives you the assurance that when God makes something, <clears throat> God says something, you can have an expectation. Put it on your calendar. Take it to the bank. This is a hope that you're going to act on because it's based on a mutual response and hearing what God has said to you. And you trust what God says. And then there's a follow through of the action of what God says. And there's a blessing to it. There's also an accountability to it. But we heard about three weeks ago now, how many promises are there in the Bible? I only heard one. How many, how many promises? 3,000, yeah. God is a promise maker, and God is a promise keeper. 
But don't mistake, don't make the mistake of the promise separate from the promiser. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? He does. Sure he does. Well, this is to understand the covenant, to understand the promises, to understand that what God is saying is what I'm going to bring to you, O Israel, what I'm going to bring to you, O Gentiles, is a salvation based on his promises. It is never based on anything man does. It is never a contract between God and man. It's only predicated based on one thing, and that's the promise that God himself is making. There are six covenants, and these are called covenants of promise. And therefore, to hear that God is going to promise to do something for us, this is not an agreement or a contract. This is God giving himself fully to us. And therefore, these are amazing promises to us. And therefore, as you start off with the covenant promise that God is going to give to Abraham, there's some amazing things in the story. So let's go back. Because this is, on this story is what Peter and Paul and the New Testament is based on to see that God has made a promise and he's now going to fulfill it in the New Testament. So, what do you know about Abraham? Well, now surprisingly, people think Abraham was Jewish. Abraham was not Jewish. Abraham was not Hebrew. He wasn't Israeli because there was no Israel, there was no Jewish. There was, he was the first of the first, before the first. And therefore, he was not Jewish, but he comes from the line of Noah. He's the 10th generation back. He did not eat kosher food. He did not go to play the shofar, the horn. But his story uh, was about him. God, you're going to do something? Sued by God. And he had questions. God, you're going to do something? How did he know that God was going to do something? He didn't read the King James Bible. (laughs) He didn't read Moses. He didn't go to church. He didn't go to the temple. He had no spiritual mentor to help him. But what he did have, and what God knew he had, was he had a longing You know, Abraham did not have any children. And at that time, to not have a family, to not be blessed, to have a reproducing generation after generation, Abraham was shamed. Abraham was built for that which he didn't have. And therefore, God knew that his, his influence among the men in his town wouldn't look upon him as a blessed man. He had a longing for a family. He had a longing for a legacy, that his name would be lived on through his generation. And for the, the Hebrew folks to not have your name remembered 
To be forgotten is one of the things of a curse that you'd be wiped off and remembered no more. So he wanted this, but he didn't have any son to keep it going. But he wanted life, and he had life, but it wasn't the kind of life that was divinely directed. And God knew that. Why? Because God loved Abraham, and God pursued Abraham, because he said, I know your heartache. I know everything about you, Abraham. And I want you to get up and I want you to leave everything, Abraham. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your family. I want to guide you into another place, a location. But God was saying to Abraham, I don't want you to look to any of those external things for your security, for your significance. I want you to look to me. Now there's something about Abraham. Abraham, again, without any background like you and I have, may have had or may not have had, Abraham didn't have anything except he had an encounter with God and God knew that he would have questions about who he was and therefore God pursued him and he made a covenant with Abraham. And this is what he said. Now the Lord said to Abram, his prior name, go forth from your country, from your relatives and to, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And here's the covenant to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Now notice what God was saying to Abraham. You do two things. You go forth from your country and you go to the land. Go from your country, your relatives, and your father, but I'm going to show you a new place. So the first part you see God saying, it's not about your nationality. It's not about your tribe. It's not about your family, but I'm going to create for you I'm going to do for you in this new place something. And I'm going to make you powerful. A great nation. I'll, I'll show you my goodness. I'll bless you. I'll make your name honorable among men. And you will be a blessing. You will get the grace. You'll see the means. The means of blessing the nations is I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations. And the one who curses you, they will have to deal with me. I will deal with those. I will protect you. And the promise is, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And there it is. The nations, through this one man. Well, how, God, how, how is that going to happen? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, just put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What would you feel at this point if God confronted you with a big promise like that? Well, how can I know? God did two things that would leave an indelible impression on Abram. He didn't, have, he didn't have church, he didn't have the scriptures, he didn't have the Torah, he didn't have anything, but he had two things. And one, God says, bring a three-year-old heifer, bring an old goat and a ram, a dove and a pigeon, and divide these in that time, in that context. The heifer was for uh, a peace offering, 
The goat was for sin, and the ram was for the burnt offering. The dove and the pigeon represented the poor, but they would be divided, cut, in order to make an incision, to make an indelible impression, divided for an undivided commitment. Now here's a strange, obscure passage. In the 1976 at Wheaton College, I heard this passage explained to me by uh, Harvey Kahn, a missionary. And he said this, and I still remember this. This is a theophany. This is God showing up and, and, and Abraham experiencing the very presence of God. But this theophany, this, this experience of God becoming real in a human level for Abraham becomes true for every man when we have the truth for every man. But what God did for Abraham was he said, uh, came about when the sun had set, that was very dark, and there appeared to Abram a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these people. Is when they would make a tree, what the kings would do is when they would make a treaty, they would bring these animals together and then they would cut them in half and split the carcasses on one side and the other side. And for a treaty to be ratified, both kings would walk through those carcasses, knowing that the fulfillment of this covenant promise that if you did not fulfill the covenant, you would too be split open and you would be murdered, killed. Because this is the way the, the suzerain treaties were done. Oh, just yesterday, this week, a couple of days ago, they, the Taliban and the American government had a treaty to, to, to a ceasefire, to work, and they shook hands. That's much more civil than slicing the bodies. But they would walk through these bodies. Well, the interesting thing about this is the meaning and the representation of this divine covenant with Abram. The meaning of the dream, there's a flaming torch, a smoking oven, according to the New American Standard, a smoking fire pot, or a blazing torch, when, when you see this, what the smoking pot of coals represents God himself. The, the smoke would come up, that pillar of fire represented the very presence of God himself. So in one sense, you've got this source of fire, this source of, 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 of heat. It's the God himself being present. And then you've got this flaming torch this torch is enlightening the way. Both are walking through, and what Harvey uh, Khan told me then was this is the covenant that God is making with himself. God is walking through, and God is the pot, and Jesus Christ is the flaming torch. Because God knew that we as humans couldn't keep our part of the bargain, so he would have one come in our stead, and that flaming torch, that blazing torch, was Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. He's the Savior that's going to take the human part, and in this covenant you have the divine and the human coming together, making a covenant, and Jesus representing that our part for us. And therefore... That smoking pot, you'll see these all over these museums in anthropology. They had clay pots, and they'd have these torches. But 
the gen, the understand that this would be God-initiated, it would be something that Abraham would understand, and that would definitely leave an impression, a conviction. Then God would ratify that. The second thing he had Abraham do was to circumcise himself. There was no other person who had ever been circumcised. He was the first one. But you go back and you read those. Abraham had been given a physical uh, mark to represent the covenant, and he would never forget that. Well, therefore, as you move on to understanding this faith of Abraham and how that calls into the grafting in of the, of the Gentiles, God says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. These are not God seekers. These are God unseekers. These are, God, uh, these are not godly people. These are ungodly people that God is pursuing. And so he said, here I am. Here I am to a nation which did not call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. And therefore, that covenant between divine and human uh, promise is going to cover those who wouldn't keep the promise because they would think their own thoughts. And therefore, as you know, the promise of the Old Testament from Joel, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all mankind rebellious and unrebellious, believers and unbelievers, until they come to the covenant and they understand that you come to the, the promises knowing that God has provided for us a salvation that we could never achieve on our own. Now the very first believers, the very first believers assumed that God to be, to be eligible, they had to go through these rituals. And when you come into the book of Acts 10, we're now ready to hear the story of Cornelius. Because Cornelius wasn't Jewish, he was a Roman military man, and he didn't do all the Jewish rituals. And so you'll hear, as you come up next week, what God is going to that in this smoking, through Peter, and to other Gentiles through Paul, that in this smoking pot and covenant with a flaming torch, there is a message. And in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the review of redemption of God's own possession, Jew and Gentile, to the praise of his glory. So what you have in the Old Testament is a covenant that says, I'll be, I'll be your um, promise maker. And I will be your king of the kingdom. I will be your prophet of Moses. I will be your priest. And that priesthood is for you, Jew, is for you, Gentile, because in you, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Well, now you're ready to hear the story of Cornelius because this means God is going to be moving among all the nations and those nations will hear everything from Abraham and the promise that he's made in the covenant. 
Old Testament, New Testament, it's all for all of us who believe in Christ. Well, we'll pause here. We'll continue with Cornelius' story because Cornelius opens the door for missions among the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the assurance that that torch stands for us. And Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you are moving towards the lost and you're going to use us in that. So, Lord, bless, bless us as we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.